So Ephesians 5, 8 through 20. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's wonderful to see you. Welcome to Park Hill Church. Um, My name is Evan. And my wife, Sandy, and I, it's really an honor for us to lead this church. And we are in a series called Receive the Holy Spirit, where we're looking at who the Spirit is. Um, Francis Chan called the Spirit the forgotten God. I don't know if that's true or not. It feels true, though. People have questions about who the Spirit is. What does the Spirit do when he invades a church and has his way and brings the kingdom through hearts and repentance and confession of sin and then signs and wonders? What does that even look like? And so, so today, last week, we, we finished a little two-parter with community and hospitality as signs of the Spirit. And today, we're talking about the Spirit and worship. Okay, so this is, a, this is a, like a heart message for me. As a worship leader, pretty much more than my whole adult life, this is right, right like down the pipe, at the heartbeat of my calling as a pastor and worship leader. So I'm really excited to kind of unpack this today. Um, so, so singing together is, is at the heart of this thing we think of, right? When we think of worship, we immediately think of singing. Of course, worship is other things, Worship is a whole life lived well before God by the Spirit's power, justice, generosity, and all the things. But at the heart of this thing is this, right now, you just finished it. Why? You just finished doing it, this singing. We're very weird. Christians do this. Who else does that? Gets together, forget about weekly, ever, and sings, sings the same words. Um, it's very strange, and, and we're going to talk about our strangeness today. And as we get started, a couple of prefatory comments. First, this is a different talk than I normally do. Normally, I have like my manuscript, and the notes are there, and I re- basically read it partly from memory and partly with this iPad. Um, but today is way less notes, way more singing. This talk, okay. So hopefully, you're ready for it. Hopefully, you're in. So, so, so secondly. That's the first prefatory comment. Secondly, this past week was my annual just personal spiritual refreshment retreat with 12 other friends who lead churches. We get away every May and we just pour into each other's lives and we cook and we eat and we pray and we deepen our friendships and and we basically cheer each other on so we don't stink and burn out as pastors. Um, And it's so beautiful this time that we get. And all of our unanimous favorite part of the trip is every morning for like two hours, we pray for each other one at a time, listen to the Holy Spirit, focus all of our our heart and soul on one person at a time. It takes 20 to 30 minutes per person because we have scripture and pictures that the Spirit gives us and we all speak these things and pray these things over one another. And it takes literally three days, three mornings to get through all 12 of us. and this morning, I woke up super, super early, every, like every Sunday, before the sunrise, and I listened back to the prayers that were prayed over me, because we all get our iPhone out and record our own prayer time, so that we can re- refer back to it all year long. It's beautiful. And, uh, and I listened back to the prophetic prayer 
that was spoken over me. And a lot of it was extremely personal and wonderful and like scary close to stuff they don't even know is going on in my life and the Spirit's revealing it and speaking his beloved identity of me over those things. Um, But there's one particular prayer that stood out as very relevant for you. Um, One of the guys praying, he sort of stopped and paused and he said, um, he's a British guy, so he has that accent that makes you just like fall in love with every word he's saying. He's like, I sense the Lord is saying, Evan, through this next season, what he wants to reveal specifically through Park Hill Church, through your life, Evan, but not just yours, through your church community, God wants to reveal this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. God wants to reveal that through how we live. And then he said, we're being, specifically us in San Diego, we're being called into a ministry of signs and wonders. And the guy said, San Diego is so complex. One of them said, it's like three cities. You have, you have all these different cultures flooding in through the military complex, and then you have immigration, and then you have the locals here. It's like so many, it's different streams, very unique in the American landscape. It's so complex. So what does ministry look like in this city? How do you pinpoint it with so many different streams? 115 nations are represented amongst the foreign-born population of this city, which is over 27%. And like, how do, you, how do you just wrap your mind around this? And the answer, they were praying, it has to be supernatural. It has to be things that go beyond intellect and reason where it's an uh, undeniable manifestation of the supernatural kingdom of God. And right after he said that, everyone just started praying into it. Yes, Lord, make it be so, in agreement. Like, Lord, would you anoint Park Hill to minister in the power of the Spirit, to be a sign and expression in this city that the kingdom of God is getting near. May we be this. And they specifically, and then they, they, they kept going. I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes this morning on stuff I forgot that they said as I'm listening. They're like, and Evan and Park Hill, we want you to know this isn't on you. It's not on you. This isn't something you can leverage or calculate. This is something God has the power to leverage himself through your life as you say, I'm, I'm devoted. I'm fully consecrated. Any hidden sin in my life exposed before you in worship God. As soon as we do that and stand our ground in holiness, God's leveraging power will manifest signs and wonders through us, transformed lives that are only explained by the fact that the kingdom is breaking in. Simple obedience. And so, so that's not just a word for me, as you can tell. <laughs> Very specific word by name for you, Park Hill Church. And so I just want to double down basically all morning on this, uh, in agreement with that, that I think the Lord is stirring something unique in this church for this season. We're four and a half years into a church plant. I don't even know if you can call us a church plant anymore. You know, you're like a church. <laughs> and, so, and so the first two years, the first two years was definitely like a plant with people coming and new faces and new systems. And then the, the, the third and fourth year was just COVID madness, reshuffled the deck. People left, people came. And now it's a, it's a season of, of the new in almost every level for all of us. And I agree, the Lord is drawing us into a fresh awareness. As we add staff, we add, we're building a pastoral care team that's getting robust and experienced and skilled at loving you well, spiritually. And, and all of this is new. And I think, I agree, the Lord is drawing us into a fresh awareness that the kind of life we actually long for, the life San Diegans, all of us long for, it cannot be achieved by the best human innovation (laughs) or psychological brilliance or physical fitness or financial planning. All those things are wonderful. Please do them. All great things. But they will not achieve this outpouring of the presence of God The life of abundance we long for and the whole city longs for can only be achieved through total dependence on the Spirit right here in this church. In a word, worship, right? This is what worship is. The Holy Spirit wants to fill the sails of our praise with his power to be his people in this city. So this is what we mean when we say in San Diego as it is in heaven, right? That's ripped off from Jesus himself. 
Father, may your will be done, your kingdom in this world, in this earth, as it is where you are. So bring where you are here, bring your presence. And the church exists to host the presence of God. Through undivided devotion, any semblance of uncleanness in our hearts, not to feel shamed or guilted away from God, but realize he's the place where you get clean and refreshed and belonging and forgiven and then empowered. So uh, we started by reading Ephesians 5. Aaliyah read it. And it's this letter about everything I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, It's the Apostle Paul writing from jail to a little church that needed to know more about all they have and all that they hold in the kingdom of God. So, so it's not about being rich and powerful, but we are rich and we are powerful. So, so, so do you understand? The world's version of riches and power get turned upside down by the kingdom of God. And now wealth is not financial gain, but spiritual gain, humility, and self-sacrifice. And power is the same. It's not dominance, but in the kingdom, power is sacrifice and self-sacrificial love. Jesus subverts the popular narratives. Paul's trying to convince the Ephesian church of this. Your truest identity is loved child of God, and you get the riches and power of the kingdom when you realize you're united with Jesus, which means you share in the Father's love, and through his Holy Spirit, you can do what Jesus did, and you can live like Jesus lived, become like him, and all of that. So that's the first half of Ephesians. The second half gets practical, like, so what? (laughs) What does this mean for how we live? And and Paul gets very practical, and this is what true worship looks like. He he leads up to chapter 5, which has this crucial moment here. Verse 18, he says, do you have slide 3? He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which means uncontrolled living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this is kind of like the hinge of Ephesians. All this moment, he's like, this is what Spirit-filled living looks like. This is what it doesn't look like. And so he he starts giving commands. So don't live anti-Spirit. And he's playing on words. We call it spirits. We call alcohol spirits today, don't we? And he's doing the same play on words. He's doing the same thing. He's like, it leads to the antithetical life. Drunkenness leads to the antithetical life as life in the spirit. So so live by the spirit, not by the spirits, is what he says. And, and, And so what does that look like? What does it look like when you're not living by the spirits, but you're living by the person of the Holy Spirit? Here's the first sign. You ready for it? Next slide. Be filled with the spirit. How? What does it look like? Speaking to one another, music, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, sing, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. First off, I love when I see the Trinity explicitly in a text. That's when you know God is doing something radical to reveal himself. And how is he revealing Father, Son, Spirit by name? How, what's he saying? He's saying, when I'm present in a community, the first sign that I'm present at the top of the list, he's going to get into marriage and how to respond to your parents as a child and how to respond to your children as parents and how do you respond to your employers at work. He's going to get into all like relationship stuff. But before that, what's the first sign? It's your voice. It's your song. It's wild, you guys. The first item of the list is music, songs. This is, this is what makes us weird, you guys. Um, this is what makes us weird. Like, you get together and sing. Where else do you do? Like, I don't know of any other place. I, you think of, I mean, if you go to a Golden State Warriors game or something, they're going to kill the Mavericks today, by the way. Uh, they're going to rule them out. I do like basketball. You don't hear it much from me, but I do. And if I was there in, in the arena and the Warriors hit three point at the buzzer or whatever, your hands go up, you rejoice. And you, and you, and you all say the same thing. You all say, yeah, or you say go, or you, you unite in a chant. Uh, but that's different than this, isn't it? We're not focusing on a victory in, by another human. We're not fo- we're not even, it's not even like a concert. 
I don't know if you've been to a very large concert in a huge arena where everybody's hands go up at the same time. We're going up for the artist, and if we really know the words, if they're super, super popular, we'll sing the song. But that's different than this, because we're singing a song not because we like it, not because we like, we heard it on the radio or we bought a ticket. We, we're singing a song even if we don't like it, because we're singing to someone who has acted to rescue us. There's nothing like that. We're singing to someone, and it's not me, it's not Drew or Tanika that you're singing to, even though you're physically facing the front, um, which is why we love doing In the Round so often uh, on first Sundays. Uh, We're not singing to a, a human. We're singing to someone who is present to all of us the same way in the room. Very unique. Among the world religions, unique even in that way. And this is, for Paul, the first sign that the Holy Spirit is here being hosted. It's been true from the beginning, right? Can you put up that next slide? (laughs) The story of Israel's birth. Their first, this is their first day of freedom. Israel were slaves in Egypt, and now their enslavers are drowned. You've seen the story on on a movie probably. Prince of Egypt, they all go into the sea. And here's what happens. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when they saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, put their trust in him and in Moses. And then Moses and the Israelites sang. So day one, their their response, they could have done anything. And this is what they did. First sign that they realized they're rescued. And they sang, I'll sing to the Lord. He's highly exalted, horse and driver hurled into the sea. And then next slide. Almost as if to double down on the importance of singing. If you know you are redeemed, he circles back to this moment and tells it from the woman's perspective. He says, Pharaoh's horses, chariots, horsemen, same thing. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand. And all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, same lyrics. Sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. It's like the author saying, the woman's the real worship leader here. It's awesome, because Moses didn't have like the musical instrument. She did. I love that. And so, sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. Horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. From the beginning, this is what men and women, male and female, all do when we are redeemed by God. We respond with this song. All through the scriptures, there's a term for this. It appears nine times. It's called new song. And the new song is always the old song. And it's always new because it's the same God who rescues. And it's a new people every time that realizes, oh my gosh, we're rescued. Are you that person? Do you realize who you are and what you've been rescued from? We're unique in this, you guys. So I've said this a lot. There's not many other groups that do this. Maybe if you're raised in the church, you might be like, yeah, I've never really asked. I've never really questioned. Why do we sing? I just kind of grew up in it. I've always done it. And I don't really get pumped about it. I just do it, which is fine. But maybe you're new to the faith. There's people in this room that are new to the faith. Do you think of this every time you come to church? Put yourself in the shoes of contextless new Christians (laughs) or even not yet Christians. And they're like, this is very interesting. (laughs) Rest on us. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. I don't feel that. I don't know what you're talking about. That's for another kind of personality, which is maybe true. <clears throat> but, and, but regardless, if you're new to this, it's like I've never done anything like this. And maybe you like singing, maybe you don't like singing. That's not the point. Either way, that's, it's not for us, right? Singing isn't for you. Your singing here is for someone who has rescued you. And we agree with the scriptures and the spirit that the only reasonable response throughout history to this rescuing God is to do what his rescued people have always done and sing together the same words in an act of unity as often as we can, as often as you can get together. And it's the first sign that the spirit's present. From from the moment God's people became a people, day one, their first act was this singing which is fantastic to think about, the importance of this, you guys. 
So I wanna ask my central question for the day. I wanna ask you, hopefully you really internalize this. Do you know what you have been rescued from? Do you realize? Are you a rescued one as your identity, rescued into love? Is, is Colossians 1, 12 true for you? I've been conveyed from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And through, un, through being united with this son, through the spirit, I receive the father's love just like Jesus does. That is not just a rescue. That is full redemption, full belonging. Do you realize this? Do you realize this? I know it can sound like a rhetorical question. I would love to hear what maybe an affirmation. Do you realize that you are rescued? Yeah. Do you realize? This, this is a good thing to like remind yourself of deep into your core. This is why we sing. Israel knew. They're like, a couple weeks ago, we were trying to make bricks without straw, despair. And their only rational response now, God brought them all out of it. And their only reasonable response, my whole body is now yours. The breath in my lungs is yours. Here's the proof, Lord, and song comes out. Do you realize that you've been rescued to that degree? Maybe you forgot what, it's easy to forget what sin even is today. Uh, I was listening to a podcast by a friend of mine and he's like, 50 years ago, Billy Graham could preach, repent of sin, you're, you feel guilty, so come to Christ, he'll forgive you, and millions would come to faith. Billy Graham would do that. It's not the same culture anymore. You say, Jesus can re remove guilt from your life, and people are like, I don't feel guilty. What are you talking about? <laughs> you don't know me. People don't know what sin is, or even guilt is. There's not an agreed upon definition for all these words like salvation and Jesus anymore. Which is why theology, I believe theology is the new outreach. Christians who know their stuff are the most attractive people on the earth, I believe. And so, and so do you know your stuff? Do you know what you've been rescued from? What sin is and how sin destroys? And how sin and, and, and world, Paul, Paul calls it the world. John, the author of uh, the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John calls it the world. The systems of culture that are hell-bent against the kingdom. Do you know how to identify these? and how you've been saved from them. This is, this is what worshipers know. And so, and so maybe you forgot what sin is, what the world is. Maybe you don't even think about the devil, which is what he would love. And, and do you realize how much this destroys and enslaves you and keeps you from abundant life? Maybe you're a dabbler in sin. Maybe you dabble. If so, maybe, and no wonder, it, you're just dabbling in song. If you're dabbling in sin, no wonder you're just dabbling in song. You don't remember your, your own rescue. When God's children see the reality of their own rescue, the only reasonable response is whole person worship, not just dabbling in the kingdom, but undivided devotion. If there's anything in me, the psalmist, Lord, give me clean hands. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, am I that one? Make me that one. No shame or guilt. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this because I see you clearly and where I've been delivered from. Do I have clean hands? And then psalmist, the psalmist writes in 139, so search me. Are you praying? Search me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is worship. And it results in a whole body expression and your lungs fill with the air you realize is borrowed from Yahweh's breath and you sing it back to him in song. So what does this look like? Um, I'm gonna wrap up with some practical stuff here and, and it'll involve some actual singing on your part. Um, we have Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages. How many of you love, hate, love that book? It's awesome. <clears throat> I, I loved it. I love it still. It's fun. It's like, it's... It's like the first anagram, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> so I got to spend a couple days with Gary Chapman at like an event we did. I, they, they sat me by him at the table and I'm like, I'm sitting by the, the guy who invented the five love languages. And I'm like, hey, um, which, is, which love language is your favorite or whatever? And, and, <laughs> and, and he, he didn't, I don't remember his answer, but, uh, 
But I asked, I asked some fun questions like, would, would you add any more? Would you make six? And anyways, it was a fun conversation. So one thing I noticed that there isn't, there, there are five love languages for couples, for kids, right? There's five love languages for how to, how to engage with your pets. I don't know. But there's so many different ones. Uh, no, there's not the pet one. But there's so many. He keeps, he keeps like rehashing it, right? But one one rehash he hasn't done that I haven't seen it at least is love languages from us to God. What would that be like? What would words of affirmation look like? Uh, what, would, what would physical touch look like? And so uh, I want to focus on those two, the acts of service, all of those. You can find Bible verses for all those, all five actually. It's, it's a fun exercise. Uh, but I want to focus on words of affirmation for, for this because that's what this is. That's the singing, right? Praise and speaking God's character back to him is, is, is a love language all through scripture, singing. And not only that, but speaking the reality of God's kingdom into the atmosphere is what we're doing. When we speak words of affirmation to God, you are Lord, he becomes more of the Lord of your life. You, you are king, Jesus, his kingdom begins to break in. We, we have stories about this in scripture. There's power in our singing. There's power in your singing. This is why we sing. There's power in it. Undeniable, spiritual, metaphysical, unseen power that translates into the physical. Have you ever gone out to a restaurant and watched how different couples speak to each other? You know, maybe, maybe it's an older couple or younger, but you see that couple once in a while that's just not talking. You know, um, almost as if they're pretending they're not even there. And it's like zero chemistry. Sometimes Sandy and I, we like, hey, We'll point it out once in a while. It's like, may that never happen to us. <laughs> um, may there always be eye contact and chemistry and an actual emotional response. May that never happen. And uh, what if that is happening to us in our worship? Like we gather here and we stand and we sing and our singing just becomes like a transactional function, devoid of intimacy, and divine relationship that we are made for. You guys, we're made in the image of a God who made speaking, and he created light through his speech. He didn't just think light. It doesn't say, and God thought of light, and there was light. It says, he spoke, let there be, and it became reality. And guess what? God made you in his image. God speaks out, reality becomes and we're made like him. That means when we speak into the atmosphere, things shift. We are made like God in that way. When we proclaim Jesus is king, guess what? His kingdom begins to break in. We proclaim he's Lord. His authority becomes more rooted in our experience of life. So it's one thing to read good theology. I know there's a lot of theologians here in the church, and you're studying, and you have degrees and all that. It's really good to read good theology. That's great, but it's not as good. Much better is speaking that good theology and singing it into the atmosphere and witnessing the transformation that comes about. In the scriptures, breakthrough often comes when God's people find their voice and praise. Think of Jericho, right? There, Israel's at their weakest. God tells Joshua to consecrate his men, which means make them devoted to me, which meant then circumcise them. And then he said, then go out and fight, but don't lift a muscle. That's great because once you're circumcised, you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're at their weakest. Picture an army of freshly circumcised males, and they cannot fight. They are at their weakest. This is intentionally humorous right now because God's like, I want you in that state. I want you at your weakest. And then when you surround the enemy, you just stand your ground and you shout my glory and I will fight. Another example, you guys, 2 Chronicles 20. This is probably my favorite one in the Old Testament. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, fun name to say, surrounded by a massive enemy, impossible odds, impossible odds. Before you read that, just three kingdoms come against puny Jehoshaphat's kingdom. Three kingdoms, vast army. And there's a point where he says the famous line, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, he says. So that's a good start. 
That's a great place to start. Worship. <laughs> Even when you have nothing and you're weak, and you, that's the best place to start. But, so look what happens next. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army. The battle's not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, another fun name to say, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You won't have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Just stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You see the repeated themes. For those that say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is how God responds to that level of humility. And look what happens next. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. That's worship. The word bow down in Hebrew is shachah. It's a bodily position of worship. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down. They followed the king and they worshiped. And some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up, praised the Lord. All these worship words with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert. They set out and look what Jehoshaphat says. Listen to me. Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, look at this, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing. Horrible battle strategy. Appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And look at God's response. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And see what they do. They just stand their ground. They just stand firm and sing, and God moves. Understand, that's a dynamic for the people of God. This is the same picture in the New Testament in Ephesians 6. The spiritual warfare passage, you guys know the armor, you're in kids' church, maybe if you grew up in church, there's a sword and a shield and, a, and like a breastplate, whatever. Um, all you're supposed to do, the only command is stand there in that text. Put on and stand. It's the same thing. It's almost like the, the, the world, flesh, and devil are these active enemies, but God is more active as long as we don't compromise. As long as we don't compromise. As long as undivided devotion is where we are rooted. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We stand on who you are. And it's not a passive standing. We stand in worship. We don't just stand with our arms folded in church, barely mouthing the words. <laughs> and that's a metaphor for all of life. We don't just stand in religion. We stand and worship the God who is first rescued because we remember what we're rescued from. And we don't give one inch to that anymore. And we simply stand worshiping with our whole bodies and voices and lives. Then God does the heavy lifting. Doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean we don't take hits. We absolutely do. But the battle belongs to him. And my friend, uh, Pete Hughes, he's one of the guys at the retreat I just came back from. He leads a church in London called King's Cross Church. Um, he said something really profound recently. He said, pay attention to the worship songs that we sing. Pay attention to the songs we sing. Notice how they come in seasons. Have you ever, I don't know, I don't know if you listen to worship music when you're not in this building, but when you're driving your car or you're tuned in to what's going on in the world of worship, um, whether it's gospel or foreign or on this soil or wherever, like you'd listen to the songs of the global church. They're often a soundtrack to what the Spirit is saying. They really are. The Spirit speaks through the voice of the church. So pay attention to the songs. All the revivals of history have their soundtrack songs. You know, um, I'm actually, this is the part where I'm going to go to the keys. Hey, yeah, I'm going to switch to this mic too, if that's okay. So, so the revivals of history, they have, they have their soundtrack songs. You guys know the story of Amazing Grace. I don't know if you've heard the story. Who wrote Amazing Grace? 
There's an airplane. I cannot hear you. John Newton. Yeah. Do you know what John Newton did before writing Amazing Grace and coming to Christ? He owned slaves and, and actually dealt in the slave trade pretty extensively. It's a horrible injustice. And as he was coming alive to the injustices that he was systemically supporting, endorsing, and the bodies that he was oppressing, as he was coming alive to this, uh, the Lord began to give him words for the equal need for grace that all humanity shares, this universal longing to be seen as loved by God, yet we're not deserving equally. equally. And, and he sang... We don't know what melody he sang because the first attribution of the melody we sing to Amazing Grace didn't come until after John Newton was dead. We don't know if he even sang it. We know he wrote it as a poem. And former British enslaver helping Britain move toward abolition in Jesus' name. And it marked a movement that represents unity and solidarity and mourning with those who mourn. Can you sing it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now blind but now I see you see how those lyrics realize what they've been saved from this is new song the song of the redeemed and then <clears throat> and then there was a song by Charlotte Elliot played as Billy Graham accepted Christ exactly one years 100 years after Charlotte Elliot wrote the words it's wild how these songs become transcendent and culture-shaping kingdom anthems from multiple countries after the authors are dead. It's almost like it's not about any people, right? And, and uh, <clears throat> we have this one that Billy Graham really, well, he named it, he named his biography after this song. Just as I am without one plea that thou, my, your blood was shed for me. It's a song about how the redemptive blood of God in Christ has washed away his sin. There was an understanding of what keeps you from relationship to the God who made you. These are, do you realize that? And, and, and then the Hebridean revival. Have you read about the revival in the Hebrides in the 50s? You guys, there are people alive today who are in their 80s and 90s who are eight, nine, and 10 years old who can still tell stories of one man falling into a trance in the middle of a remote chapel on a basically desert island in Europe and, and saying, Lord, give me clean hands. Give me pure heart. Lord, I feel the sin of the world in my hands. And then, and then just the whole township, villages, not even knowing why they're drawn to this Location where this man they don't know is praying and all of them repenting before God. Some, some actually, there's stories of 400 people outside of a police station in the Hebrides because they feel guilty and they don't know why. And they're, they're saying they're sorry because the spirit of God is moving so powerfully. Um, and, and there's a song that marked that, that season as well in the Hebrides. You know that song, Here is love, vast as the ocean. Here is love, vast as the ocean. Loving kindness as a flood Where the prince of life our ransom Shed for us his precious blood These songs know what we are saved from And they say thank you never more, never again I'm not returning And uh, <clears throat> be attentive to the songs we sing This is all under this point of words of affirmation That's sp spoken into the atmosphere Change reality and come from changed lives so what about today? 
We have songs today. I, just, I know I'm bypassing whole swaths of church history, and I'm also realizing I'm speaking from my unique context as a white man, pastor, evangelical with my own history, and there are so many histories in this room that are equally honored in the kingdom of God. Uh, but what, what about today? Do you know what song was the most arguably circulated worship song in 2019? Do you know what it was? Can you guess? We sang it somewhat frequently before COVID. Even during. Um. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Do you have the lyrics for this? Let's sing this. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Louder than the unbelief. I raise. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Heaven comes to fight for me. There's that chorus. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. So I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, 2019, ramping into New Year's Eve. What do you think the Spirit was preparing the church for? A storm's coming, what are you gonna do? You are going to raise a hallelujah. That's what you're going to do. And, and you don't just think it, you raise it, you speak it into the atmosphere, and, and as you do, the kingdom breaks in. Another one that really resonated with a lot of, a lot of the global church in 2019. Um, oh, so good. There's a table you prepared for me. Just a little community called Upper Room that has become prominent from this song. In the presence of my enemies, it's your body and blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. So this is how. What do you think the Spirit was saying to the church? It's about to get, it's about to get messy. In 2019, it's about to get wild. What are you gonna do about it? You're gonna feast on the abundance of God's house. You're gonna raise the glass of God's body and blood. You're gonna celebrate with the church as best you can over Zoom, over YouTube Live, until we're back together again. You're gonna feast on the riches that you have in the spirit. And last one, another one, 2019 was wild worship wise. So many beautiful songs. Uh, it's as if the spirit was, was, was equipping us for something. And uh, you are here, whoops, here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. I worship. I worship you. So we're all going to be distanced. We won't be able to gather. Where is the presence? Where's the presence of God? How many live streams did you tune into when we sang the words, you are here? And we, and we put a stake in the ground in the unseen realm and said, though we're distanced, we acknowledge a God who is both transcendent outside of space and time and intimately with us, living with us, uh, and, and, and not abandoning us to transcendence. He's both with and trans, and because he is that way, we have this link that is unable to be broken through the spirit. And so we can say that he is, he's made that way. He is the way maker. And, he, and even when we don't feel it, he's working. We can say this. And, and, and it's true, not because we say it, but it becomes more embodied. And it actually, there is a sense in which there is a spiritual battle that is being won as we stand and proclaim. 
There's so much biblical precedent for this. So how do we navigate the trouble we're in? We sing our way through it. We don't sing around it. We don't avoid it. We don't play emotional denial or religious tiddlywinks and try to undermine, you know, God is this way and I'm just, no, we, we acknowledge pain. And we don't lie to ourselves about how it hurts. And we say, like Tanika did, uh, right after we lamented the great tragic shootings of last weekend, we sing, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been good. With every breath that I have in my lungs, I'll sing of the goodness of God. Um, so that's words of affirmation. Love language. The last one is physical touch that I wanna talk about, you guys. Physical touch is a very important, everybody needs physical touch. And, and God, I would argue, doesn't need anything because of his all-sufficiency, but he longs for the outstretched bodies, hands, heartbeats, and everything that makes you you pointed towards him, your physicality. God loves your body. First Corinthians 9 says the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. And, and we're not just brains with bodies. We reject the enlightenment hogwash that we are minds that can be separated from bodies. We are embodied souls and ensouled bodies. We're both, all the time, in every cell. So we get to use our bodies. They're power packs for worship. Did you know this? Get your bodies involved. And yes, emotions, even endorphins, are 100% part of it. Do you think God loves your whole body but hates your endorphins, so don't fake it or whatever? No, he loves your endorphins. They're part of you. They're chemicals you make that he made you to make. And there's this whole deconstruction thing where, where people are like, oh, the worship, the heart, the, my heartbeat gets going, and like the kick drum comes in just to manipulate me. I'm like, you mean, you mean you didn't know that? Like, no one told you that your emotions are supposed to respond to stimuli? Of course. Of course that's happening. And God loves it. <laughs> and God loves you. Uh, it's all part of it. And yes, people can abuse bodies and endorphins, 100%. So we don't, <laughs> we don't abuse them. We give them to God in full authenticity and integrity. You are connected to all of you and we're connected to one another. So um, one of the most common Hebrew words for worship is yada. The Hebrew word for hand is yad, yada, the lifting of the hand. The word hand is literally in the word worship, the most common word. We lift our hands, it's all over the scriptures. And another common Hebrew word is shacha, which I already mentioned. It's to bow low, as in soul bodies. Our souls follow our bodies. So psychologists often talk about emotion as e-motion, energy in motion, right? So, so sadness is energy. It's an emotion that pulls your body down, which is why you hold your head in your hands and you weep and you hunch over. And joy is an emotion that moves your body up. Again, like, when Golden State destroys the Mavs, it's gonna be like, yes! And you won't, you won't even realize that you did your hands in the air. Especially if you're in the room with 12,000 people, like, you don't even think about it. Think of like a kid. Um, that's, and that's a gesture. These are gestures. But when you do the same gesture over and over, it becomes a posture. Many of us have been through trauma recently, a lot of it, communal, relational. We talked a little bit about, a, a little bit about that last week with hospitality and how that heals. Um, and our bodies keep the score, right? You know that book? Our bodies keep the score, and they tell the story. And there's been a lot of downward movement for a lot of us, and it's affected our posture toward church, toward ourselves, toward God, our postures reflect our surroundings. That's natural, but guess what else is true? Our postures also transform our surroundings. Our postures have the power to tell the story of what's coming. And we know what's coming. You guys, as children of God, as you, as you comp contemplate your future, as children of God, a new heaven and new earth where there's no more pain and every tear is not denied, it's actually dealt with by the tenderness of God. Every tear is wiped away. So does that mean there's crying in heaven? I think there is. I think there is. And in one moment we experience the real, not denial, but the real calming, soothing, 
solidarity of Christ, where he wipes your tears away. If there were no tears in heaven to wipe, you wouldn't be wiping them. But he wipes them away, the very real tears that you have and the real scars that you bear. He doesn't make them invisible. He doesn't deny them. He brings them into his reality and he wipes them away and redeems them. He actually saves your tears. And, 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 and there will be no more of them. He, he, he aligns himself, he aligns you perfectly with himself so there's no more tears and pain. And Christ and the church get married and there's no such thing as human singleness and there's no such thing as human marriage anymore. There's just a higher level of intimacy with one another that we can't possibly even imagine. And all things are made new in resurrected bodies. What is your response to that? It's joy. It's joy. Your response, when you realize what your future is, your response is joy. And it fills your being. And as we sing of God's goodness, it's rooted in hope. And let that fill your being. Let your gestures shape your postures. And your posture will transform your reality around you. This is not just positive thinking. This is the way of Jesus and the worship of God's people. So, so one of the worst bodily postures, I already alluded to it, is in my opinion, and this isn't a Bible verse or anything, this is totally me talking based on everything I've said already, but arms folded, standing still, barely mouthing words, no shame for this, although it feels shameful the way I just phrased it, and I apologize. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, what is this? This, this, is, this is defensive, it says, I don't know that I trust what's going on here. And there are reasons for that, 100%. So I'm kind of off the cuff. This sermon is way more off the cuff than a normal sermon for me. So I apologize if I offended you with that. But that is an inactive, passive defensiveness. Um, and God is to be actively trusted with your bodies. Because, my, my goodness, we're trusting him with our future by even being Christians. So, so lift your hands. Dance if you can. Weep. Weep, not just fake tears of joy, but weep sorrow in God's presence. Bring your full self to God and embrace others as you sing. So this is the time, I think, for us to say, I don't just want to be in more Sunday gatherings consuming songs and sermons. I want more than that. I want signs and wonders. I want them to flow through me and my church family so this city can see the love of God through me which means I wanna be undivided and devoted. Undivided devotion to God, true worship flowing from my life. 